joined now, State Representative Tim Butler. He is on the phone. Good morning, Representative. How are you? I'm doing well, Bishop. I remember the stay-at-home order very well because it happened on my birthday. Oh, so. my gosh. Wow. Yeah, so you've got that uh, that always there in the kind of in the background whenever you're celebrating your birthday. Um, exactly. we got a lot of other things I, I want to get to, uh, but just your reaction a year into it. Uh, can you assess just for everybody how it's gone, uh, and uh, is this type of thing something that uh, we, we should do again in the future if, if, if there's another type of pandemic like this the first thing i have to say i'm, I'm optimistic um given everything that's happened with the vaccines and and it seems that the rollout of the vaccines is going is going very well right now um and so i'm optimistic that hopefully you know as we move through the spring and the summer we can get back to much more semblance of normalcy i i you know i i believe this is you know when we look back on this this is going to be obviously a huge learning experience for a lot of us and instructive on how we can uh, handle these things in the future. I, I believe that the way that the governor has handled this, which I'm sure he thinks it's the best way that he's been able to do it. But, I, I, you know, I think there's a lot of us that have been frustrated from the state level, from the local level, that we've seen a lack of cooperation from the governor's office on a variety of fronts. Um, the legislature not being engaged, the lack of um, information uh, when decisions are being made and things like that. So, you know, my hope is, is if, if we ever have to face something like this again, that the government learns that we really need to cooperate to have everybody on board to, to get through it. And I, I don't think that's been the case uh, going through COVID in the last year. One thing that uh, I do uh, hope to uh, to delve into uh, even more, and we're seeing some of the criticism from Senate Republicans about the governor's vaccine plans and the distribution of those plans, is we've had plans on the books in the past to deal with these things. Even Dr. Ezekiel signing off on, I think the, the title of the document was um, uh, the Pandemic Influenza Response uh, or something to that effect. And that's a, a plan that's been developed over years uh, with, with multiple administrations adding to it and modifying it and so on. She signed off on that in March of 2020, and then COVID hit. Uh, and it seems that, that that playbook was kind of thrown out the window. And I even heard somebody last week say, oh, the governor didn't have a playbook. He was just, this was kind of handed to him. Uh, should there be a thorough review of the governor's actions, what's previously been laid out there with plans, even when it comes to the vaccines, and and how quickly should we have that review and that that audit of sorts? Well, I think number one that the you, you are correct. The state plans for these things. I participated in a national conference. I think four years ago under the Rauner administration, I was asked to attend a national governors uh, uh, association conference in Phoenix about planning for these type of situations, a pandemic, a healthcare emergency. And um, plans were developed, ideas were put out there. Um, this, is what, this is what agencies like the Department of Public Health, uh, the Emergency Management Agency, these are their jobs to plan for these things. And, and it is astounding, looking back on this, that, that we really seem to either, A, not have a plan, or B, did not abide by some plans that were that were in place. So I think it is well within the, you know, the responsibility of the legislature to have uh, continue to have oversight hearings and continue to, to hold the administration responsible for answers um, moving forward. I think there needs to be a thorough review. And they, we still haven't got a lot of answers on so many questions that we've had over the past year. And so my hope is, you know, this is something that the legislature takes seriously. I would love to see a special committee or a joint special committee between the House and 
Senate put in place that would that would examine you know everything that's happened under COVID so we can plan for the future. I, I think that's that's vitally important because you know look there's there's plenty of of discussion and thoughts that you know we're going to have something like this happen again. I mean there's there's there could be a pandemic happen again um, uh, in the near future uh, down the road whenever. But we need to be able to plan for it and, and certainly learn from what's happened over the last year. State Representative Tim Butler with us here on the WMAY Morning News Feed. Uh, so other things I wanted to, to get you on about, of course, uh, we've got the 10-year census. Still don't know when those numbers are actually going to be released. Uh, but you have been appointed to a uh, commission to help uh, draw the maps. Tell us about this. Yeah, so the, the House last week established a redistricting committee, so a standing committee under the House Representatives. Uh, Leader Durkin named me as the Republican spokesperson, the top Republican on the committee. So it's a, certainly a big honor for me. It's a, it's only something that happens every once every 10 years. So uh, by current state law, uh, we're supposed to set up committees in the House and the Senate and have hearings around the state. Uh, I'll be interested to see how the majority plans to, to roll this out. We have huge problems with the census data. Uh, the census uh, said... Uh, several weeks ago that the data that we need to draw maps, the congressional maps and the legislative maps down to the local level, um, that will, that data will not be rolled out to us by the end of September. And that, that means data we usually have in hand right now to be able to crunch and, and draw the maps won't be available till, uh, till later in the year past constitutional deadlines that we have in place to draw, to draw the maps in Illinois. So we have a lot of questions. Um, I think it's going to it's going to ramp up very quickly here over the next few weeks would be my guess and into the spring with a lot of discussions about redistricting and and um, and how we get this when we don't have the census data. Uh, And it's something I'm excited to be involved with because it certainly is something that we've talked a lot about uh, since I've been in the General Assembly about drawing fair uh, maps for the people of Illinois. And this gives us an opportunity to do it. And uh, I hope we do. What's your definition of fair, Representative? Well, I, you know, that's look, that's the, that's the, uh, uh, I guess the 177 uh, question since we have 177 legislators right. in the in the, the state house. But look, I, I think you have to respect certainly federal guidelines when it comes to uh, all that's in place from court decisions and the Voting Rights Act and stuff like that. But I think you know gerrymandering districts uh, politically, which has obviously been done when you look at some of these maps. Is something that we need to get rid of. We need to respect communities that are largely, um, you know, put in together. Look, we have three members of the House and three members of the Senate that come into a community like Springfield when we're 115,000 people. Basically, Springfield's the size of one legislative district, one House district, yet it's divided up in three districts. And that was done politically. That was politically to draw a map from from Springfield over to Decatur to elect a Democrat. We know that very well. That's what happened. I think that's the kind of thing that we need to get rid of while respecting, you know, the rights of, of minorities and, and uh, everything that goes into the Voting Rights Act to, to make it legal within the law. But we need to respect current boundaries, current political boundaries the best we can, uh, and not slice and dice these districts for political gain for the majority party. The Democrats have done it. The Republicans have done it. We need to, we need to get away from that. 
We're talking with State Representative Tim Butler here on the WMAY Morning News Feed, 745 now in the capital city. Uh, so timelines here. Uh, of course, we don't know yet exactly the date when we're going to get the uh, census data. Seems that it's going to uh, butt up against, if not um, uh, drive us past the deadline for people to start collecting signatures to get on the primary ballot. Uh, so we'll, we'll watch that closely. But uh, when do you anticipate having hearings on this so we can uh, at least try to get some kind of clarity? I, I I think they're going to roll out pretty quick. Uh, I traded phone calls this weekend with uh, Representative Fernandez, who's the chair of the committee. Um, hopefully, th- there was there was a proposed set of hearings that was leaked last week. Uh, I don't know if that's the actual hearings that are going to be put in place. I don't know if they're going to be in person. I don't know if they're going to be virtual. It's and these again have to happen all across the state. Well, per the the law that is in effect right now, which I wouldn't be surprised if the Democrats try to change it, it does call for hearings across the state. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. The, the the list that came out the other day was upwards of 20 hearings held across the state. I don't know how that's, that's going to work. So obviously, I think hopefully this week we'll get a lot more um, answers to that um, uh, since the committee was just announced last week. But, you know, the by the Constitution, the legislature is supposed to draw maps by July 1, uh, or then it goes into a constitutionally mandated commission, and, and there's a lot of questions uh, after that as well. The reapportionment data, which just tells us how many congressional seats we're supposed to have, uh, won't be out, I think, until April. And, again, the, the data that we need to draw the maps isn't going to be out until September. So this is a this is a really unique situation that we have in front of us to try to draw the legislative maps. Last I checked at the state house, there are seven bills uh, to change the, uh, the, the the time change to make it uh, daylight saving all year round. You're one of those legislators who has a bill, uh, and several have bipartisan support with kind of the same language. Uh, is this something that's going to happen? Well, there's there's a couple different. My what my bill does is put us on standard time ah. year round. What some of the other bills do is put us on daylight saving time year ah. round. Which which goes into the larger debate of which is which is better, standard time or daylight saving time, and so this is this is actually something that I've thought about for a few years ever since the Senate passed former Senator Menard's bill to put us on daylight saving time year round, and so daylight standard time is what we just came out of uh, yesterday morning. Uh, daylight saving time is what we're in today. Um, the the research that I've seen, uh, especially from a lot of medical people, sleep. Um, uh, physicians, things like this, say standard time is better. It, it better aligns with people's uh, natural clocks. But there's a lot of debate about it. You know, on the federal level, um, Senator Rubio introduced a bill to go to uh, standard time year-round. We have states that go both ways on this. Uh, it's it's an interesting issue that a lot of states are getting involved with. And honestly, at the end of the day, I think if we're going to make a change one way or other to get rid of the the two time changes every year, it's probably something that needs to be handled on the federal level instead of individually by states would be, I think that would probably be the best way to handle it. Well, I was going to say, I mean, even if the state was to pass such a resolution, it would still need to be approved by like some national the, group, right? So, so if to take us uh, on full daylight saving time, what we're on today, it would also take an act of Congress to do it. If we want to do it in Illinois to, to go to straight standard time, we can do that as a state, exempting us from the from the federal daylight the uh, the time act that's that's been put in place. So we could actually go to standard time as as a state alone. But you know, there's a lot of questions around with our surrounding states and how that impacts you know people who commute in and out of Chicago, in and out of Rockford, in and out of the Quad Cities, in and out of St. Louis. 
um, how it would impact the, the broadcasting industry, how it in, impacts schools, all sorts of things. So yeah, there's a lot of questions around right. that. That's really one of the reasons why I introduced my bill, because I thought that the Senate acted really rather quickly on Senator Menard's bill a couple of years ago without a lot of good discussion and debate about it. And this would be a big change. I mean, this, this impacts, you know, everything that we do daily if we change if we change the clocks. And and so it's something that we need to have a lot of debate about and, and figure out what, what would be the proper avenue forward, I think. Well, yeah, which is better, uh, you know, team uh, standard time or team daylight saving time? So, well, I mean, you know, it's it's you know, it's it, you know, everybody says on daylight saving time, I, I I get an extra hour of daylight. Well, you really don't get an extra hour of daylight. Right. The yeah. number of hours it's is it's just, it's just where we right. fall on the our, you know our, our our clock that we've set up. Uh, and so all the people that were commuting, you know, Friday morning and in, in maybe the lights, if they have an early commute, are now commuting in the dark this morning for for a while as well. But then they're then you're getting more light on on the other end of of the clock at the end of the day as well. So. Well, uh, perfect segue uh, into my next uh, topic here, and uh, didn't necessarily mean to, but we're talking about uh, sunlight. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, freedom of information and uh, Sunshine Week this week. Uh, how can uh, the legislature uh, be more open uh, to, to public records requests? I know that's one sticking point uh, that uh, that we always hear is, yeah, Illinois has got major problems with its FOIA law. Uh, the the public access counselors got a backlog. I've always heard. Uh, I put FOIAs in, and I have to, you know, uh, fine tune them like three or four times before I actually get something back from the governor's office, and that takes like a month and a half, if not more. But the legislature's not. Uh, uh, in the FOIA law, uh, from my understanding, should it be? Well, it, there, there is, the the legislature is in the FOIA law in some instances. So there are um, there are instances where where the legislature has been FOIAed and documents have been produced. I think you know the most recent one I can think of that is with the with the subpoenas that were issued. I think to Speaker Madigan's office. Um, I think there were FOIA requests for that that were. That were um, uh, yeah, I think the same too with like uh, some Senate Democrat up. offices but, as well. But you know, so it's it's it, a lot of times it's it's the individual members that that get that gets or you know, excuse me, get FOIAed that, that get denied. So like like you know, a schedule for the for the member of the General Assembly or stuff like that. I think what we need to do is take a look at some of the other states and see how other states do allow greater FOIA access for the legislature. I don't have a I don't have a problem with that. I think it's something we should we should take a look at. I think you know certainly certainly FOIA laws are there for a reason, uh, for a good reason to allow sunshine and access to the public to see what's going on in the inner workings of government. Um, I do also believe that you know FOIA does get abused sometimes by um, you know uh, some people who just file FOIAs after FOIAs after FOIAs and that, that keeps agencies buried in, in FOIA requests. And so it's it's a balance between making sure that people have access to their government and FOIA, but but not also putting in, you know, I, I've, I've talked to local library boards that have got thousands and upon thousands of of um, FOIA requests that, you know, for a, for a staff of one and a half people. So it basically bogs everything down. But, you know, at the end of the day, we need to make sure that there's, there's sunshine on our state government that FOIA laws are strengthened, transparency is strengthened. And I think it's one of the real frustrations we've seen under COVID, the way we've handled the legislature. You know, the fact that both the media and the public have really, you know, the access from the media and the public have been really 
reined in under COVID, and I don't think that's the way we should we should operate as the General Assembly. Yeah, I think uh, it's important to note uh, FOIA is not just for media; it's there for the public, uh, and the public can can write their own public, FOIA requests. And... Public can write their own FOIAs. Uh, we've gotten FOIA requests from prisoners. You know, I mean, p- people can. Anybody who wants to uh, send in a FOIA request can, absolutely. State Representative Tim Butler, it's all the time we've got. Greatly appreciate you uh, jumping through all these topics with me on a Monday morning when it's uh, wet and windy out there. Be safe, wet right? Still, still kind of dark this morning. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. All right, we'll talk soon. Take care. Thanks. Be great.